0: Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast, as per usual. Before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment to let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, we're pleased to have Dr. Rick Strangway as our speaker. Rick is the Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology at Ambrose University, and he and his wife, Corrine, are members here at Southview. So while he's a guest speaker, he is speaking to his church family. And they have been serving in ministry within the Alliance uh, Pastoral Ministry for about 30 years or so. And we're really happy to have him teach today, continuing in our series, Teach Us to Pray. Also coming up at the end of August, just a heads up, is our block party. And we do it each year. And so be sure to check for information coming up in the viewpoint around the time and how you can get involved. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. And you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant, because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are, all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together.
1: It is quite possible that the Old Testament character that we're going to look at tonight is the one person who's most associated with the night. The darkness of the inner life, the struggle of the soul, the wrestle of the spirit, the reality of what sometimes we find ourselves, and maybe you and I, on a week like this, we find ourselves struggling and wrestling. And so I invite you to turn to the first book of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 32, if you like, or you can listen along or read along with me this evening. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be in Genesis 32, we pick up a story where Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, finds himself after a long-storied life, Beside the river Jabbok, in the dark of the night, it begins in verse twenty-two with these words, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. That night Jacob got up and he took to his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. And after he sent them across the stream, he sent them over, sent over all of his possessions, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched or hit the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? My name is Jacob, he said. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. But it will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. And Jacob said in verse 29, Please tell me your name. And he replied, Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites did not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Every night's story has a backstory. Every part where we find ourselves encountering somebody, or maybe even our own lives at times, finds ourselves, if we are in the midst of the night, there's something that brought us there, something that storied us there, something that narrated a pathway that we find that, oh, it isn't just this moment. It's a moment that led to this moment. It's a series of circumstances, of decisions, of choices, and that was the case with Jacob. Jacob is part of the book of, uh, uh, the design of the book of Genesis, which is really a glorious book that invites us into the story of God, the story that you and I live in each and every day, whether we acknowledge it and profess it ourselves. It's a story that begins with God's goodness and God's blessings, inviting humanity into a story that we would participate with the living God, stewarding, engaging in the work in the world around us, always under the acknowledgement and the knowledge that God is truly God and we are the created ones, and we simply, in a sense, join hands with God as we live in the world. But the story of Genesis took a turn quite quickly in Genesis 3, and... Unfortunately, humanity, which we seem to do, which I seem to do so often, found itself grabbing for something according to their own desires. Well, in the next several chapters, it had a spiraling effect where again and again, it became obvious that those who narrated Genesis would make it clear that Genesis was telling us something about our story. That we were always clutching, grabbing, trying to take things, even though we wanted the goodness of God, the great exclamation point that came across Genesis chapter 1 again and again seven times and double on that last day. Yet we were always desiring to do it our own way. In Genesis chapter 12, the grandfather, as I'd mentioned, of our character we're going to look at more deeply, Jacob, was chosen by God. And God came to him in Genesis chapter 12, and he said, listen, Abraham, I'm choosing you and your family so that you will be a blessing to others. You will join me, and I will bless you so that you can walk into the world, and through you, others will know that I am God. The same promise and different words and slightly different storylines came to his son, Isaac, and then also to Jacob. Jacob's story really starts in Genesis chapter 25. He's born really a twin to Esau, with Esau. And in his womb, while Esau comes out first, he's the second of these two sons. He comes out grabbing the heel of his brother. And the word in the Hebrew, Jacob, is a play on the word as have heel grabber. And in fact, that word is also a play on the word trickster or deceptor or deceiver. Jacob, the heel grabber. Jacob, the deceiver. Jacob, always trying to reach out and grab a hold of something according to his own designs and his own ways. And the truth is, that's how it began to unfold. As it moves forward quickly, Jacob, one day, as they're two grown men and they're beginning still living in the kind of larger part of their family's uh, uh, tents uh, with Isaac and his mother, Rebecca, Jacob comes home one day and deceives his brother for his birthright. His brother was hungry, and he, Jacob gets that birthright, being the younger one. It wasn't his to grab a hold of, but he took it. Again and again, it happens that this uh, deceiver, Jacob, kind of does it again later to his brother as he tricks his father for the blessing that was to be given from father to the eldest son, but he deceives his aging father who wasn't able to see, and Jacob again turns the story and reaches out. It's worth reminding us just one more time. The story of God is a story of goodness, a story of blessing, a story of human flourishing. It's a story that you and I are continually invited into again and again. It's a story that Abraham was chosen to be a blessing to others. God desired to choose Jacob and use him to be a blessing. And in fact, at one point in Genesis chapter 28, when Jacob meets God at Bethel, he says, truly, this is the place where I've met God. And God blessed him and said that he would be with him and continue on. And yet Jacob always struggled with faith, always seemed to be working in the ways towards what God wanted, and yet kind of turning it uh, along his own designs one time after another, till eventually he was sent away to go far away and find a wife. And after several years, a long time, running from his brother Esau, running from his family uh, home, he finds himself in a land far away. And there with his uncle, going back and forth through a series of deceptions, one with the other, he finally seems to have this, what he wants, a wife, children of his own, and many, many flocks and sheep and herds and so on that are his. He turns after God directs him home. And he comes home to meet his brother. And it's in Genesis 32 in the passage that we read that he's preparing to meet his brother. He has sent all the family ahead. All the herds and all the flocks have gone ahead. He's actually been worried about this meeting with his brother and sending them ahead. He tells uh, all the servants listen, you try and gain favor by giving these many of these herds and sheep and goats and so on as a gift to my brother so he'll be appeased, so it'd be softened. And there in verse 32, Jacob is left alone by the river Jabbok in the dark of the night. Night stories are not just moments, but they're stories that lead up to moments. As there in the night that he wrestles with a man, we quickly find that this man is God, a figurative image of God encountering him in the darkness of the night. And this wrestling is a long wrestling. And he comes face-to-face to to God. Again, in the Hebrew, the language of face-to-face means he comes into the presence of the living God in the dark of the night. We might even say when he thought all else was lost, when he was at the edge of the river and he was uncertain. There he comes, and in a wrestling match or in a prayerful match with God, he encounters God's divine presence there, and they wrestle. Well, the night quickly, in a few verses as we noted, gives way to the day. And by the time the daytime uh, arises, there's at least three things that have arisen uh, that we find out about Jacob now. He's given a new name. His name will no longer be the heel grabber, the trickster, the deceiver, Jacob. His name will now be Israel, representative of this long journey of his of always wrestling yet never fully understand that God wanted to bless him, use him, have his hand upon his life, always grabbing for something, always struggling for something, and yet he would just need to surrender and lean into the grace and the goodness of God. He would be Israel, one who wrestles with God. We also find quite clearly that God blessed him there in the dark of the night. Maybe surprising Maybe out of the goodness and the design of God and His providence on Jacob's life. In the story, we see it more clearly. Even by the time we get to the end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, God would say, listen, they might have meant it for evil, but I meant it for good, for God is constantly at work in the day and in the night. And then the third thing that we find when morning breaks, He walks with a limp. The wrestling match left him hindered, hurt, suffering, wounded from the struggle with God. Maybe for some of us, there's a little bit of a truth and a reality in our own journey with that. Some would say, those who are scholarly would know a little bit more of the Old Testament, that the hit to the socket, it says touched in many of our English translations, was much more of a punch into the inner thigh. That would dislocate the hip. Maybe even more specific to say, it would be much more of a punch into the one place where Jacob could generate his own blessing and his own children and multiply and flourish in this world. It was a constant reminder for Jacob when morning broke, that truly only the one who names and the one who declares blessing is the one who has the grace and the goodness to do that. It's not something for Jacob to grasp. Well, when we look a little bit deeper at this passage, we might ask ourselves, when it comes to prayer for you and I, practically in our own life, in in this uh, summertime world that we are living in these days, what can we glean? What can we take for this from our 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 own spiritual journeys? There's at least five things I might suggest. The five things are this. The first is maybe obvious, but it's simply the fact that nighttime meetings are part of the spiritual journey that we often will face. For many of us, it's something that if we come upon a time when we're struggling with God or we're in a dark spot or we we find ourselves uh, trying to make sense of finances or trying to make sense of decisions that adult children have made or trying to make sense of uh, all the things that are scattered and broken uh, around us and we're wondering, God, what is happening? It's in those places that oftentimes God wants to work in the midst of us and shape us and form us and meet us there. The night is a part of a normal spiritual journey in so many cases. Secondly, nighttime can be a time or a place where there's both a heaviness and a thinness. Let me explain. The heaviness comes with the burden that we face. When we lay in bed somewhere in the middle of the night and we look up and there we stare at the stucco or whatever, the smooth plaster that's above our bed in the dark and we squint our eyes wondering how long it is until the break of day will come. It's a heaviness upon our heart. It's both an emotional, and sometimes it's a physical weariness in our bodies, but so often it's a spiritual heaviness, and we can be in a service, and we can even have have a, a day of relaxation maybe on a day like today, but we can find ourselves heavy in the midst of a spiritual darkness in our own lives. And yet, as the Celtic Christians would tell us, it can be a place of thinness, a place where heaven and earth almost touch together. A place where you and I might say or see and all of our senses would tell us, God seems silent, he seems distant, he seems far away. My sin or my choices or my narrative, my storyline has led me to this place and I'm left alone. And the truth is it's in those very moments that Scripture witnesses. And here's the third thing. Scripture witnesses again and again and again that God seeks to meet us in the midst of the nighttime experiences of our own spiritual journeys. Which leads to the fourth thing. When God meets us, we come face to face with Him. If we humbly, in faith, walk forward into the night. And in spiritual language, or in language of spiritual formation, we might even say this, that it's only truly when you and I come to the place where we can experience God, where we can meet Him face to face, that then we can truly see ourselves to unpack it just a little bit more, but you don't need to remember this when you leave. Sometimes the false storylines that I've been leaving or the false face that I've been presenting, I've shaved nicely have a nice clean kind of dome on top of my head, and I put on a clean shirt so that people would see me in a nice, good way as, as I encounter them or whatever the case would be. The false self that I often present to people, I can only truly see that false self, that false face, when I come and see the face of the living God when I come to encounter Jesus who meets me in the dark of the night, and as I meet Him and see Him and encounter His grace face to face, I come to realize in my own spiritual journey that He knows me, that He loves me, that He deeply cares for me, that it's not just a false... It's not just the storied past that I have. It's not just the brokenness of my own sinful choices. It's not just the things that have happened to me in the circumstances in a post-pandemic world. It's not just the realities of all the things of my family choices around me. It's not just that. But God loves me amidst all these things and accepts both that which is broken and that which He is forming into wholeness through His grace and His mercy. The living God meets me in the midst of the night. And in fact, as people who believe in the risen and resurrected Christ, the one who is alive that we sung about already, who is risen and on on his rightful throne, as ones who place our trust in Jesus Christ, we believe that God truly has met us in the midst of the brokenness and the darkness of the world in the cross. A cross that shed a light in the darkness so that we can grab a hold of that which rises to new life. It's coming face to face with the living God that I truly see myself in the darkness of the night. Tish Harrison Warren would say in her book, Prayers in the Night, a a reference or a book that I would highly recommend to you, that it's often in the midst of the darkness of our own struggles that we see our vulnerability. It's in the night that we are exposed for who we are and it's in that exposure that we can come to recognize God's grace and God's mercy if we humbly allow Him to meet us there and we walk deeper into that journey. Which leads us to the fifth thing. The fifth, maybe, prompter that comes out of this story of Jacob's life is simply this this isn't just an encounter of prayer. It's not just a moment in the, of his life, it's actually a reminder that Jacob was being called just like you and I, out of the darkness into a life that leads into the break of the morning where we would join again into the witness of God's grace into the world around us, where we'd step into the family storylines that we have, into the workplaces, into the school places, where we would move and not just be people who say, God, thank you for meeting me right here in the brokenness or in the darkness of my life, but we could step forward and say, God, now I can join you and be one who walks, yes, with a limp, but walks as one who gives a testimony, a witness, a posture towards others in this world. Again and again, the goodness of the Genesis story and the goodness of God's story, the goodness of the gospel story is a story that invites us in and through to meet God at the cross where he meets us and to rise again to tell the story through words, through actions of our own lives. Paul would say, as he would write to the believers in the church in Philippi, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I'll be honest with you. I was in the eighth grade when God called me into Christian ministry. And when I first would have come across those words, I was probably about 15 or 16 years. And I was thinking to myself, in those days, I want to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in my mind, with my imagination, I was thinking, wouldn't it be glorious and wondrous to see the power of God come again and maybe I'd come down out of the ceiling of some, some beautiful auditorium like this and there'd be smoke rising up and it would be a glorious, powerful moment and, and God would be there and I would enjoy every midst of it. But Paul goes on to say, as many of us know, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and to participate in His sufferings. It's often as we begin to mature in our spiritual journeys and begin to listen and begin to watch what God teaches us through and in his word again and again that we see it's in these very places where we struggle the most. It's in these places where oftentimes it's a long journey of darkness where we're working through the shadows towards the light that God has been at work meeting us, forming us, shaping us, and inviting us to lean forward into the world around us. It was Saint Ignatius who would have said this. I'll have to just go to the slide because I can read it better there because this just powered off. Take, Lord, receive all my freedoms in a prayer of surrender. My memory, my understanding, my whole will, and all that I have and all that I possess. For you gave it to me all, Lord, and I give it all back to you do with it as you will according to your good pleasure. And give me your love and your grace, for with this I have all that I need. Maybe for you, maybe for all of us, there's a place, there's a moment of our own lives letting go, trusting again in fullness and surrender to the living God who invites us. And trusting Him, through His grace and His mercy to again give that which only He can give, His blessing, His life, His goodness to each of us. Let me close in prayer. Father, we are thankful for Your incredible, gracious patience with each one of us. We thank You that we see with limited eyesight at times we hear at times with ears who don't, aren't always as sharp and attuned to the things that we need to discern and hear. Yet you are one who is constantly with us, constantly willing to lean forward and tap us again on the shoulder. You are the one who is willing to wrestle in our wrestlings with us. You are the one to offer again your grace and your goodness and lift us up. You are the one who continually provides that which we need, giving us sight, giving us strength, giving us wisdom, giving us hope. And so, Father, I pray that again on this day that you would meet each one of us. And through Jesus Christ, the one who gives his life for us, the resurrected one who now we believe in and trust is the living God, securely on his throne, we turn again in trust and hope and faith. In a declaration, we say amen. As we close, let me invite you just to stand with me as I give you a blessing. Wherever your path is going, wherever you find yourself on this day, may you sense richly in the darkness or the shadows of your storied life, the presence of God. And may that presence give way to grace and life and peace. And may that sense of life and peace and grace give way to a confidence that God who is with you now is also the God who with you is with you in Christ through his living spirit through the rest of this week ahead of you. Go in peace. God bless.